Welcome to the Mosh Zone, episode 109. Week 109, volume 109, number fucking 109. Hey, going, guys? How's your week been? Thank you for tuning in. This week's guest is Justin of Toothgrinder, and that will be coming up later in the show. Let's kick things off with single of the week. This week it comes from Sydney Bruises, Justice for the Damned. Their new track is called Guidance from Pain. The album it will come from is called Pain is Power. That sees its release on May 8th through Grayscale Records. If you're not yet familiar with Justice for the Damned, now's your fucking time. This song is fucking epic. Do not underestimate this band or the sound that they're capable of. It's heavy as fuck. It's got beatdown moments. It's pissed off. It's got a thug swagger to it. It's just fucking glorious. Really proud of the guys what they're doing on this second album. And this single shows just how good they are. So the band is Justice for the Damned. The single is Guidance from Pain. And the album it's coming from is Pain Is Power, which is released May 8th. Now, while you're getting into that track this week, if you've yet to hear our chat with the vocalist Bobak, make sure you do. That was episode 20, so go back and discover that as well. Album of the week is from Code Orange. It's titled Underneath, and it's out now on Roadrunner Records. Code Orange are one of those very hyped, very well-known bands going around at the moment, and they thoroughly deserve all of it. They're a band that blend 90s alt metal, bit of new metal, bit of hardcore, and a bit of industrial. This album is complex, challenging, and exciting at the same time. They want to battle your expectations, and they want to break the norms that you expect. While they want to do that, it's still heavy as fuck. It's still raw, abrasive, and aggressive. It's menacing, it's memorable, and it pushes boundaries. Really good album. You need to get into it. Give it some time. It might be a slow burner for you, but once you really get into it, you can thank me later. So that album is called Underneath. It's by Code Orange, and it's out now on Roadrunner Records. Let's crank into the feedback and questions segment. Bit of a quiet week, lots of sharing going on. So everyone that's been sharing the show, thank you. I see you, I notice you, and I appreciate you. For everyone else listening, if you've got time this week, help us out with a share of the podcast on your social media. So only takes about 30 seconds, maybe a minute. Help us out, share the show on your Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, and make sure you tag us in it so we can see it. Also, if you've got some time this week, help us out with a rating and review, whether that's on iTunes or on our Facebook page. It is invaluable. We appreciate it. And we love to know whether you enjoy the show or you think the show is shit, but we enjoy it nonetheless. Enough of the ramblings. Let's get into the main part of the show. This week, I got to sit down and chat with Justin of Toothgrinder. First thing I got to say, thank you so very, very much, Justin for taking time out for me and the Mosh Zone. Much love, much respect, much appreciated. 
So Tooth Grinder, if you're not familiar with them, formed around 2010. They've had three EPs and three albums to date. They're a band that kind of blend a lot of different styles. It's a bit progressive. It's a bit metalcore. It's a bit alt. It's a bit of everything. They're a band that I discovered by chance, and I've loved their path, and I've loved their discography. So to get Justin on the show was great for me and great for the show. In-depth conversation. We got to talk about some very personal things, and it was a very insightful and enjoyable conversation. I hope you enjoy it. That chat with Justin is coming up now. So I usually start with the same one for everyone, and it's kind of... Do you remember an artist, not necessarily heavy metal, but uh, do you remember an artist that mm-hmm. opened your world to music um, existing? Um, yeah, I guess there's different stages in my life uh, that really uh, had an impact on me. Um, I don't know, a lot of the really, really early years of my life, it's usually just like listening to whatever was on the radio or whatever my uh, whatever my parents were listening to. Um, but I think once I like started discovering music for myself and kind of like uh, developing my own taste for music through friends and stuff, uh, some some artists that really impacted me was a band Thursday, hmm. um, poison the well, uh, a lot of punk bands, early punk bands like, uh, MXPX, um, uh, strung out bad religion. Um, it was kind of like in that little realm, of music where I started like finding like alternative forms of music to, uh, you know, besides like what's up, what's playing on the radio and stuff. Um, but I think Thursday in particular, because they were from my area, they're from New Jersey and they're blowing up and they're always touring with like bands like thrice, which I really liked. Um, I don't know. There's something about, the uh poeticness of the lyrics and the aggression of like the screams and it was just different something different was going on and it kind of sucked me out of this like punk rock phase into more of like this melodic melodic hardcore stuff and it i mem- i remember just like being obsessed uh with that and then you know throughout the years <sighs> branching out to whatever, you know, whatever, whatever was awesome metal and rock and God knows what, you know? Um, so was a lot of it through your own discovery, as you mentioned that you kind of delved deeper and got into heavier stuff or were, were you someone that you had someone at school or something that showed you a band and said, you know, you got to listen to this or what, what was it like for you discovering bands? Well, I had a I had a really good friend uh, when I was younger who I looked up to a lot, and he uh, he got me into like punk rock in general. He started going to shows, like local shows, and uh, I thought it was the coolest thing in the world because I was so young at the time. He was a little bit older than me. I was so young at the time. Um, I didn't even know like underground music existed. I mean, I had to be like ten, eleven years old, 
and I think it was like Warp Tour or maybe a couple like local club shows. Started going to that them, and I just it was just like I I had no idea like this was even a thing. And then once I got like a taste of that underground music atmosphere, it was like the chains were broken, and I was off to the races. Like I, I couldn't get enough of it. I just going to shows and seeing any band and at that time i mean this was around probably like 2001 2000 um it just seemed like there was a lot of all-inclusivity at these shows like i'd go to a show and you'd see a metal band a hardcore band a ska band and a punk band all playing on the same bill mm-hmm. and it was like that weekend after weekend and uh so i just naturally uh grew to like grew to like all these different genres i remember going to a ska show and seeing this band folly who was a big influence of mine back in those days they're not no longer around anymore but they're a huge influence of mine and they were a hardcore band but they had ska influences that's why they were playing the ska show and it just completely like fucked me up like in a good way (laughs) and uh and it got me into more aggressive music and I can't, and I feel like that's the same thing with Thursday. Like Thursday was like this melodic, I mean, people say screamo, but it was definitely, it was, I think it was way more intellectual and deep than, than, than that term, hmm. you know, kind of uh, means. But, um, I saw them with poison the well and Dillinger escape plan. And it was like, holy shit these this is sick like these two bands that are way heavier than this band but they're all playing the same bill and you know i think that's just how it how a lot of that worked for me just going to shows and discovering bands and and it's kind of like a drug in a way like i see it now with younger kids too it's like oh it's the heavy oh this band's even heavier than this band this band's heavier than this band and you know you kind of go walk that line a little bit and soon you're listening to death metal. (laughs) (laughs) And I think that's just kind of like how it worked. Like I started like seeing, going to all these ridiculous shows and, you know, uh, but it creates a cool, it creates a cool uh, influence looking back on it now, you know? Well, it is, but, but heavy music also for a lot of people, you know, we're talking a big percentage of the population don't, even uh give it time of day so i mean what about it drew you in apart from you know the angst and the energy and the heaviness was it i know i know for someone like myself was a a sense of feeling like i belonged um that i wasn't an outsider yeah it was definitely uh it was a sense of community i mean there was it was probably the first time i ever felt like i belonged to anything um you know, I I made some of the best friends I've ever had through that music, through the music scene. Um, and you go, it was like my, my sense of release, you know, like I didn't feel like I fit in at school. I came home, just fought with everybody in my house all day. So I didn't feel like I fit in in my house and I played hockey at the time. So but I was still like, I was still like kind of like an asshole rebel, whatever, even being a halfway decent hockey player. So like 
going to shows was really my my first release that I found that kind of took me away from everything. Um, really like put me in the moment, put me in a flow state, I guess it was, it was pretty, you know, it was a high. It really was. I mean, it's, it's, it's what music is. It's, it's that sense of community, that sense of belonging, sense of creativity, and it gets you out of your head. Yeah. And, and, you know, you hit on something there, which, which is like, you know, it doesn't matter, um, the kind of person you are, the background you come from or what kind of misfit you are, that you can all come into the same space and enjoy the same thing and get so much out of it at the same time. For sure. For sure. I mean, yeah, it's it's really is as simple as that. Um, it's weird. It's kind of weird now. I'm like I'm like in deep thought, like trying to put myself back in those days. It's uh, It's wild. It's wild to see where I'm at now, where I was then all the dreams that you had when you were a kid, um, especially in the music, your music dreams. And, and like, I remember just all I ever wanted was to be a touring musician and playing shows in front of people. And, you know, you never really know if it was going to happen or not, but it was just like all I ever wanted. And now it happened. And it's kind of, it's kind of crazy when you look back on that kind of stuff. So you're saying even at school, like in high school, that was that was all you were driven towards. Was there anything else you had in your back pocket that you were like, look, if if music doesn't work out and I don't achieve my dreams and goals, I'll do this instead? Um, I wanted to be a professional hockey player, but that was definitely that got taken over by music real fast in my sophomore year of high school. Um when I was in eighth grade, our my English teacher, she had us write a letter to ourselves that she mailed to us when we graduated high school. It's like four or five years later. And I still have the letter. And on the letter, uh, it says, uh, by the time I am graduate high school, I want to be a touring musician um, and, and or a professional hockey player. So I know even from like 11, 12 years old, that's, that was my, my goal. And I still keep that letter, you know, to uh, show myself, like I made something happen. So you've got this dream and drive for it. So how did you go about making sure you were going to make it a reality? What were your early steps um, to not only forming Tooth Grinder, but what were your early steps towards making music um, an achievable dream for you? I don't know because it, it it feels all it felt. I remember it feeling all very clumsy and and uh, grandiose at the time. Like it's weird because I was never really a good musician, and I'm still not that great of a musician. But like I had the passion and the drive, and I had like the fight for it and the love for it. I wanted it more than most people, um, and. Uh, it's like I was always in bands. I was always playing music. We were always playing like little sh- stupid shows here and there with all these bands, never doing anything, never finding the right group of guys. Because, um, you know, it's, it's weird when you're in high school because you have people who really want to 
pursue music on a visceral level. Mm-hmm. And then you have people who are usually really talented, but like, you know, they, they, they have other things they want to do, which is great, which is fine. Like, you know, people graduate, some people go to college and go your separate ways. And, uh, there's a lot of people I played with that did just that. Um, so when I graduated high school, I, uh, I thought my music career was over because everybody I played, everybody I played with, um, just kind of departed and, you know, did their thing. And I was one of those people I, I, I wanted to play, but I couldn't find anyone to play with. So I did my thing too. And I failed out of college my first year. Um, and that summer, um, I got hit up by our old guitar player, Matt Milky, and he was the one who was like, he he messaged me on Facebook, I think, and he was like, hey, dude, uh, I have a couple guys who are still want to play music if you want to like come and sing or whatever, and I was like, yeah, sure, and the funny story about all this is that uh, we all played in different bands when we were in high school, so these are like how I was saying that, you know, there's people that want to stick it out and still play music it was kind of like the people in all these different bands that still wanted to play music while everybody else left they all came together Hmm. and that's kind of what formed tooth grinder so at that point um when i got asked to sing we didn't even have a name at that point or anything it was just like we're just gonna go jam in in a uh, you know either in a milky or uh wills's basement and uh or Milky's basement, Wills's back room, and um, from then on, it was just kind of like, all right, we're just gonna do this and see what happens, and write some songs and write some demos, and yeah, it and then it kind of like took off from there when we decided to get serious about it. You mentioned in, um, you know, doing the vocals. So, what was it like for you choosing? to be a vocalist or was that just by chance and did you try out instruments before deciding vocals was going to be the thing you wanted to really pursue yeah uh, i actually i played guitar um in some punk bands and some like uh rock screamo bands and um i always liked the backup singing of of being a guitar player like that was my favorite part i actually i I would love to play guitar in a band that's like a non-technical band because I love rocking out with a, with a guitar. Like so like I've always been into the stage presence aspect of playing music. I just think it's so much fun to just let loose and go crazy on stage. So I I um started out playing guitar but really fell in love with vocals because this one band I was in called The Guest List. We had a few different names. But it was this band called The Guest List, and uh, I really enjoyed it. And um, I wanted to be vocals in the band, but I wasn't a good enough vocalist at that point. I was pretty young. I think I was like 13, 14. And um, we had a, a vocalist who's really, really good. And so I, I just did all the backups. Um, eventually after getting into like some harder music, like this is probably around the time where I started listening to bands like Dillinger. Um, I decided I really relate to, um, 
the vocal side of things. Like I was writing some of the lyrics for the guest list, even though I was a guitar player. And um, I was like, I'm going to start a side project. And I started a band called Living a Lie with a group of guys um, who I was good friends with. And it was just a straight up metal band. And it was cool. It was a lot of fun. Um, and from then on, I knew I wanted to be a vocalist. We played a show at this at this venue called Club Chrome in, uh, I think it was in South Amboy or Perth Amboy, New Jersey. I forget. And um, it was just like, happened to be one of those local shows that was like really good. The place was packed and everybody just went fucking nuts. And I think from that day on, I felt more energy from the crowd than I've ever felt before on vocals and i just i just wanted to do it like i just knew like all right i want to be a vocalist i'm born to be a vocalist i know i'm not good at it but i'll get better and um people really started dug that band we we did pretty well in our little local area and that's the reason why um matt um hit me up to be the singer of tooth grinder because uh we used to play shows when i was in we used to play shows with his band when I was in this band, Living a Lie. So he knew I was a vocalist. And uh, that's kind of how I, I branched into that. How did you go, you know, developing your voice or your sound? You know, you said, you know, I'll just get better at it. Was a lot of that just through practice and persistence? Or was it through, you know, learning techniques and learning training in some shape or form? Uh, early on, it was just pure... I mean, it, it wasn't good, like, at all. Even the, the early on in Tooth Grinder, some of our early demos, it really wasn't good. It was a lot of harsh vocals and, like, not a lot of melody. Um, I think a lot of, like, the singing, the clean singing and melodicness just developed over time. Um, I did take lessons for a little while. I wouldn't say that was the uh, most important thing. I think, I think... In hindsight, the most important thing for develop for me developing my range and my vocals was always being around people who were better than me. Mm-hmm. Like um, just being around musicians that are better than me all the time, it made me better. And playing with bands that were unnoticeably better and more talented it makes you made me better. And like, I just kept doing that and doing that and always trying to put myself, whether I realized it or not, I don't think I realized it at the time, but now I realize it. I was always trying to put myself with people who were better than me, even if it pissed me off because I'm human like everybody else. And you'd be like, God damn, this guy's so much better than me or whatever. But I think in the end, that's how you get better is just surrounding yourself with people who are better and you kind of just like you learn what they do or or it makes you push yourself to like get to the next level yeah and without jumping too far forward your your range and abilities obviously like anything over time has developed and got better and better with each step but you can also see over the releases your talent is now pretty much at a range where you vocally can handle anything. Is that something you intentionally keep trying to push the envelope with, or is that something that's just it's just how it's happened? Uh, yeah, I think there was definitely and there was intention 
behind the Phantom of More release, there was definitely intention there to increase my range um, because I really wanted to uh, to sing. I mean, it's again, it, it just happened naturally. I mean, like I was touring with so many melodic bands. I mean, when you tour with Periphery and the Contortionist and Kill Switch Engage, some of those bands multiple times. I think we toured with Periphery like three times. The Contortion, no, Contortionist three times maybe four times periphery twice the kill switch and like you just see these phenomenal singers every single night it's like almost impossible like to not be um influenced and want to like develop your sound even more like i wanted to just sing so bad watching like spencer from periphery and like mike from the contortionist every night and those and like i was like all right so when we came up with phantom of more i was like I, I don't care what it takes. Like we're, we're, we're going to make a more melodic album. And I think that just kind of, it was tough on Phantom of More because it was something new, but by the time we hit, I am, it was just comfortable. And you're right. Like, I think I was just comfortable enough to just do whatever I wanted on. I am. And it was, it was fun too. It was a lot of fun. And I think that's just, again, that's just, that's just how, it, how, for me, it's how it went, how it goes, you know. Yeah, and that's the thing. It, it seems and sounds natural. Um, it doesn't sound forced. It just sounds like a natural um, evolution. Um, Want to go back to mm-hmm. um, the early times of the band, and then come through the albums. And so, you guys formed around 2010, I think it was roughly, and you got out the first EP, "Turning the Tides." Uh, what was that time like in the band? Was it literally just about playing as many local shows as possible or was it, you know, about grinding and trying to take bigger and bigger steps with each show and each thing that was going on in the band? Um, I think a lot. The early years of Tooth Grinder were so strange to me. Um, I think like there was a lot of this like trying to find our identity there we were we was like what are, are we are we a metal band are we a prog band are we this like want to be august burns red band because i think feel like that's like kind of like what was going on in the very very beginning um with stuff that's not even like released um so it was like this like whole identity like crisis for a while and I think turning of the tides and then vibration color frequency was our attempt to go prog in a local New Jersey scene that wasn't really used to it yet, which was good. I think it was a good thing. I think it happened for a reason. Um, we were trying to fit in to our local scene, which was really strange. I can't even like put my, my head on it, but like, I think we were always just trying to be a little bit different. Whatever we saw everyone doing around us, we just wanted to kind of go the other way because we realized our strengths are in our differences. Like when everybody's playing Gen, and this is like year, a few years ago, like let's go more the prog direction. Or when everybody's doing this, let's go more this direction. And it kind of worked out for us because we knew we weren't the greatest musicians in the world, but we were creative and we had a lot of, we had a good work ethic 
and I think just grinding away, um, not really conforming to what everyone else was doing and trying to push the boundaries, um, helped us a lot. Um, it definitely got us the opportunities, uh, we, we got early on and it, and it was, there's a lot of local shows and a lot of local grinding. Um, but we did get, we got big, big opportunities around those times, you know, we got to showcase for Sumerian records in LA. Um, we got to meet, uh, the dudes from periphery, uh, who introduced us to outer loop management, uh, who introduced us to a real record producer like Taylor Larson, who then introduced us to spine farm records. So like there was a lot of luck, but also a lot of, you know, a lot of hard work and, and, uh, trying, always trying to push the boundaries. Well, I mean, I mean, the hard work is something that um, some bands don't always put into it. You know, they do just think all the luck and all the cards will fall in the right place at the right time. So with the hard work and the grinding, was it just something that came natural or were you guys intentionally saying, look, if we're going to do this, we've got to work hard at it because it's the only way it's going to happen? I think, I think, yeah, I'm, I think we did say that to ourselves, but it was absolutely a hundred percent natural. Um, I mean, I remember, uh, wanting nothing more than to tour and play shows and make it a full-time career. And, and that's what we did. Uh, so that hard work, I mean, everybody in the band worked their ass off. We, we all made a lot, a lot of sacrifices and we still do, um, to make it happen. So I think it's like, you know, it's, it's so hard to speak for every band. Like, so I can really only speak for us, but we, there's so many sacrifices we've had to make. Um, it's hard to see, or it's hard to think that a lot of people would make those same sacrifices um, because there's so much unknown and i and like going back in time it's like would i ever even do that again it's like i don't know mm. like there's I, all the 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 like all the unknowns all the unknowns and the anxieties of like oh is this the right decision what am i doing why am i doing this why are we driving 10 hours for one show the, all, like why are we wasting all our money like to like in the beginning to like play these shows and do all this stuff and it's a lot. It's, it's, it's kind of overwhelming to think about, but you know, it, it benefits you in the end. And even if it doesn't benefit you in music, it benefit, it's going to benefit me when music's over, when music's done with like, I at least have like the confidence, I think, or, you know, the, the wherewithal to, to know I can, accomplish things that at one point might have seemed like impossible well i mean like you're saying in there that a lot of it is the role of the dice though because you're um putting all this money into you know when you're independent putting it into merchandise or the recording of an ep mm -hmm. the mixing of an ep you're putting your life on hold to drive those 10 hours to tour for weekends um you're missing events at home um the pressure 
that it puts on someone, I think sometimes people forget. They just think, oh, it'd be a luxury to get out and play shows every day on a, on a, on a weekly basis. But the other side of it is that, yes, there is rewards to it, but it is very taxing. Yeah, yeah, it is. I mean, I think the revo- like anything else, the harder you work for something, the, the better the reward's going to be. Um, you know, you can feel it, feel it and appreciate it more, um, than if it's just handed to you. But, but yeah, I don't know. I, there's definitely some luck in it, but I, I don't even want to call it luck. I wish there was like another word for it. Cause like, it's kind of like that creating your own luck. Like you put yourself in positions where you can let luck happen. Something like that. Like, uh, that's how, like a better way to, a better way to phrase it. It's also something that not everyone is made to do or can do because, you know, if you think about it, um, you've been doing Tooth Grinder now for, you know, going on 10 years. There's mm-hmm. a lot of people can't persist with it for that long. Uh, a lot of people at one stage will just say, look, enough of this. I, I can't do this. I want to have A, B and C back in my life, you know, work. Uh, financial stability, whatever it is. So it takes a certain person who's willing to also grind at it and do it and have the shitty days, but then have the good days. Cause it's not easy. It must, you know, really weigh on someone. Oh yeah. No, it still does. Still absolutely does to this day. Um, I mean, we talk about that stuff all the time. Like how long can we make this last? Uh, what's the plan to make this sustainable? How can we take it to the next level so we can survive? I mean, nothing's really changed with that. It's still, uh, it's still a very ongoing uh, thing, you know. Like, we're nowhere near where we want to be, um, but we're also extremely happy and proud of how far we have come. Hmm. Um, now, you mentioned about <clears throat> the identity of the band and where you were going. Um, with all of that, was it around the time that you linked up to Spine Farm for Schizophrenic Jubilee? Do you feel like you started to find your identity? Because um, that EP, I remember is when I first kind of heard of the name. I hadn't heard the music, but I'd heard the name. And I think it was probably A, to do with the label and B, to do with the music. Yeah. Yeah, no, that was I. that's exactly probably when we we kind of knew it was still a little sketchy, but it was, we knew that we were done writing like 10 minute, 15 minute long songs. Um, we wanted to, I think like we wanted to like take that creative energy we had and start songwriting and really concentrate on writing songs. And I think that's, that's been the goal with every record is just to get better at songwriting. Um, and like add meaning and I don't know, concentrate on the intricacies of a shorter song and make it a little more palatable and listenable. Um, Schizophrenic Jubilee is definitely the beginning with that. And it was the first time we ever worked with, you know, like a real record producer. Um, Before that, we were doing it ourselves or with a buddy of ours who plays guitar in this rock band, The Parlor Mob. He, uh, he, He would help us out recording our demos and stuff. Um it was nice to finally be in a professional studio setting and, um, get told like, 
dude, this song sucks. You should use this song. You should use this song. Um, this song sucks. Um, I don't like the part in this song. Let's change that. Like, it was nice having someone be like, kind of like, tell us what was wrong with our shit and, and whether we agreed with it or not. That's a whole other thing. But it was it was good to to finally get you know get to work with someone. Did did there come any pressure and um, expectation also linking up with a label the size of Spine Farm? Um, nah, we felt really comfortable with them. Um, I mean, they're real close to us. Their their headquarters was in New York City, and it was only like an hour drive from us. And everybody there's really down to earth. They're all really good guys and girls, and they were. Um, I don't know. The label's been great uh, as far as like personalities are concerned. Dealing with all of them super easy. Like I talked to those guys. Even from, we all talked to those guys from the beginning of our relationship with them. Like they're our friends. So there was never real intimidation. Maybe like before we got to know each other, know each other, and like we knew Jonas was like the dude at Roadrunner who I don't know who helped work with like slipknot or nickelback or something we were like oh shit like this guy's like he's he's been around the block he knows he knows he knows his shit so that was a little intimidating at first like meeting him and and uh you know working with him but like after like a week of knowing those guys we were like oh these guys are awesome like they're probably some of the most down-to-earth people i've ever met that work for a record company. I've met a lot of people who work for record companies and th- there's a lot of great people who work for record companies, but as far as like comfortability and like feeling like you're talking to like a friend, they're really, they're really good with that real down to earth guys. And were they, I mean, are they, were they a label that kind of just said, do what you want to do, do your tooth grinder thing and we'll, we'll support it there. You know, I've had guys on. Oh, that, absolutely. Cause there's been guys on that have said that, you know, they've, record label has said look you really should should be doing a b and c stop doing d e and f no you know it's crazy spine farm never told us anything ever (laughs) um not once like not even like not anything They, they they never made maybe like a suggestion like after the uh the record was recorded and like maybe like mixing or something like but um no nah, they've never hindered our creative process whatsoever they they kind of liked what we did oh nice um let's get into yeah. where i first picked up one of your releases which was nocturnal masquerade um what was it like for you guys you know you're doing your first full length is there any expectation <laughs> Um, are you just excited as fuck to just get this album done? Um, and then the second part of that question was, it felt like everyone started talking about the band because suddenly it, it's getting a lot of positive reviews. A lot of people saying, you need to check these guys out. It really seemed to grab a lot of momentum that release. Uh, yeah, I think, well, I think for me, honestly, my one of my I have like a few what I call like I don't know like spiritual moments with this band. Hmm. Um, one of them was with the recording of Schizophrenic Jubilee because it was my it was the first time hearing 
our music through like a professional, you know, professional studio. And like, it just sounded so big and compared to what we were, we were used to recording with. And it just sounded like, Oh, this is like for real. Like, this is great. Um, Nocturnal Masquerade was honestly actually very intimidating in the beginning um, because we've never recorded a full-length album as a band yet. And I just didn't know what to expect. I didn't know, like, all right, you're going to be in the studio for four to five weeks now. Get 14 songs done. Ah, that's probably the one thing Spine Farm told us we had to do. That, that's that, uh, that like, pissed me off. <laughs> <laughs> i forgive him now because i don't I, I really don't care but at the time it pissed me off i think we wanted to do like 11 or 12 songs on the album and i think they made us do like 13 or 14 or something and i was like i just want to do 11 songs but they made us do like that many songs <laughs> so <laughs> that was the that was their one thing um but uh it was really in, it was really intimidating um doing our first first full-length album and uh just because we didn't know if we were going to get it done it's kind of weird like we you go in there and like i always lose my voice for whatever i never lose my voice on tour always lose it in the studio uh i lost my voice like i usually do in the studio and you know you just get get panicky and you hope it's whatever I, we wrote some great songs and i think we all came out of the experience like with high hopes and and it worked out but it's kind of funny because i i remember being very underwhelmed with the nocturnal masquerade release mm-hmm. like, i remember feeling like it was good but i feel like schizophrenic jubilee was like a better release like in the sense of like how i think it was probably because our first time ever getting exposed to like any kind of um any kind of um like music media websites and stuff with schizo but like nocturnal i remember just being a little underwhelmed and now looking back on it i'm like i think nocturnal masquerade is more popular of an album now than it was when we first released it Mm. like just the way like people talk about it it's kind of cool but the way I feel about that the that record, like within the last couple of years, is actually different than I f- how I felt about it when it first came out. Loved the record, thought it was a great record. I just remember being a little underwhelmed when it was released. But now it feels like it's like it's the record everybody talks about. It's kind of weird how that happens. Yeah, I mean, uh, it it is also probably one of those things that the more the people have time to really delve into it and maybe people go back to it. Um, it kind of matures over time and, you know, it was it also, was it a release that gave you guys a lot of momentum because I remember I'd already got into the album and had the album and then I see people like Jesse Leach sharing the album. Yeah, no, that that kind of stuff was like crazy. Getting those tours and like, and then it was just, you know what it was? I think, especially for myself, I was at the, especially at that point in my life, I wasn't living in the moment as much. So I wasn't seeing all these things happening. And it wasn't, it wasn't until like in the past couple of years where I really can like look back in hindsight and see everything almost like in a movie format or a book format where you can like 
look at it in a linear fashion be like oh this happened and this happened this happened but when you're in the moment you're so like i don't know everything's just happening so fast you, you, it's hard to embrace it a hundred percent what were the tours like for you guys were you were you finding that your turnouts were getting better and better or were you finding that you were a band that still had to win over a crowd at this stage definitely still the win over a crowd with the nocturnal release um it's funny because well i'll take jabs at people as a complete joke it's not serious mm. but like well some like some people will be like oh man you guys suck now like um you need to write more stuff like you're not not nocturnal or whatever and i'll be like i <laughs> I always want to, I never comment to anyone because I try not to let this stuff bother me. But in my head, the argument in my head is, yo, we did a headlining tour on Nocturnal Masquerade and no one showed up. Where the <laughs> fuck were you? <laughs> like, <laughs> because like, that's what I want to say. When, when like, when like people say that stuff was like, dude, we toured the shit out of that album and no one came out for it. So... <laughs> Um, but, uh, no, we were definitely, you know, it, we we're still a new band and people didn't really know what to make of us at first. So, um, we, we, we needed some time to grow. I think, I think it, it just, it just is what it was. Well, I think part of that probably also is that, you know, f for me, I think it's an interesting listen, that album, because you keep the listener guessing, uh, what, each song is going to contain and what one song is going to be like compared to the other. It's not, and it's a, a compliment, not a, um, an insult, but like, it's not just all death oh, core. Yeah. It's not all death core all the time. It's not breakdown, breakdown, breakdown. It's, you know, a little bit of a riff stuff going on here and then it's a mini breakdown and then it's a nice uplifting part. It's very much all over the place, but in a good way. Mm -hmm. No. Yeah, I agree. I love I mean, that album, that album has a special place in my heart. I love that we we did do that, and we we tried to, you know, like I said, be different. And that that was, I think, kind of what I was saying before, around the time where like certain styles of music were just getting so popular, and our mindset was always like, all right, this 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 is getting really popular. Let's let's do everything different than that <laughs> and i think that's what happened with nocturnal masquerade <laughs> and then you guys roll into your sophomore release uh, release phantom amour and you mentioned earlier that you know you intentionally wanted to start incorporating you know different stuff into it um what was it like for you recording this time was it a lot different to nocturnal did you feel a bit more comfortable yeah the album the album process felt more comfortable because I knew I was going to get the album done. We all knew we were going to get the album done. We we're like, all right, we can do this. We put out a full length album. We know we can get it done in a timely fashion. Now it was just about like, what, how are we going to, now it's just about like, how are we going to take it to the next level? And again, we went with Taylor again for, as a record producer. And we all kind of sat down in the beginning of the record process and was like, what are we going to do? We kind of had like a game plan. We had a bunch of songs written, but like there was only so many of them that we really wanted to uh, explore a little bit more. So we decided that we were going to write a lot of the record in the studio. 
um, and kind of just do like this avant-garde thing. Like I wouldn't call it an avant-garde album, but a lot of it was off the cuff in the sense that it was mostly written in the studio. A lot of it was, you know, <clears throat> weird takes and first takes. And then like, I, I don't know. It was just, again, trying to push the boundaries, try to do something different, try to be real creative and try to like put for myself, put more emotion into a record than I have in the past. Maybe not be so spiteful and angry, but talk a little bit more about the vulnerable, like the more vulnerable side of my personality and stuff like that. I mean, there's only so much stuff you can scream about. So I just wanted to like get things I don't, I don't know. I want, I want to incorporate a lot of the music that I grew up listening to, a lot of more melodic music and, and stuff that, you know, made me who I am. Does, does, you know, you mentioned in there about what you're writing. Um, do you find the lyric process easy or is it something that's challenging? And then the other part of that question is, do you write something and record it and then listen back, and do you ever go, oh, did I say too much, or did I say not enough? Um, lyrics from for me come pretty easy. Uh, it's actually really natural. It's probably the most natural thing about the music writing process uh, for myself. I can I can write lyrics all day. It's it's for just just the one one gift I was granted was lyric writing. Um, but everything else is a little bit of a struggle. Um, I don't write my lyrics first. I write the melody and the rhythm first, and then I'll put lyrics on top of it. Uh, so I kind of have this like pattern of what I'm going to say, consonants and vowels I want in certain areas. Um, there's certain different, there's certain consonants I like when like, let's say like a breakdown hits or like something happens or there's a transition that, that needs a lot of energy and a lot of power and grit. Like, certain words, certain consonants, and then I kind of build around it with lyrics. Um, I'll have like a theme for a song and then kind of, I don't know, like mad scientist it all together. <laughs> uh, it's, it's just like, it's weird. It's a weird way of doing things, but I know I'm not the only one who does it. Cause I think Corey Taylor, I it kind of does the same thing. And a few other musicians I've, I've, uh, I look up to realize, I realized later that they did the same thing because i always thought i was like i was like when you're that when you're that new and like you're still like in the infancy stage of your music career you're like you're like am i doing this right even though there's not a right <laughs> or wrong way but you're like this is weird like i but it works but i come to find out a lot of a lot of musicians do it that way so i always write the melody the rhythm first and then tack on the lyrics later what about being, you know, you know, you mentioned like in Phantom about, you know, not being so angsty. Um, and then as as anyone that's listened to I Am knows that, you know, you're kind of exposing yourself more. Um, do you feel vulnerable um, opening up yourself like that? Or is it a very lethargic to open yourself up like that? Um, I kind of go back and forth on it. Um, I'd say the majority of the time I feel really good about opening myself up. Um, sometimes I have to, uh, sometimes I feel weird about it. Um, sometimes I have to question my motives. Uh, I mean, I'm human like anyone else. Uh, I always gotta, I always gotta 
kind of dial myself in and make sure I'm doing things for the right reasons. Um, the last thing I want is to use like sobriety and sobriety programs as like a form of, you know, business promotion. It's, it's, it does get kind of weird. You're, you're definitely treading on like a, a weird line there. So like I do, um, I do think about it a lot and I think through like my journey with becoming so vulnerable with the things I am, I am, um, you just have to like make sure, or I just have to make sure that whatever I'm doing, I'm doing it with the best intentions. Um, because it can get, it can get a little weird, you know? Well, it can't be easy. I don't easy. know if you can relate to that. I, I can, I can relate because, um, you mentioned in there something that um, I felt very heartwarmed by is I'm someone who's uh, found sobriety not too long ago, um, came to a crossroads with my wife. Oh, awesome. And I was told, keep that up um, or we uh, and we get divorced or give that up and we stay together. So I came at a crossroads for me personally. Um, and, you know, I still struggle with some demons, I don't. I haven't slipped out of sobriety, but there is moments of okay, really want to do that today. Oh, I'd love a beer or whatever it is. Um, yeah. So, what was your path like um, to coming to sobriety? Um, was there a aha moment of sorts for you? No, I've had a. I've had a. Well, yeah, sure. There was there was an aha moment, absolutely. Um, I had probably a few aha moments. Um, I've always been a very, very heavy drinker, like since the first drink I've ever picked up. Remember how in the beginning of this conversation I was telling you that like, and I was kind of hinting at it then, but mm. how music was like, music was like my first drug. It was it was something that finally took me out of my took me out of myself, and. It was like, oh, where have you been my whole life? I can finally like, it's like taking my first breath of air of my entire life. Like, like there's something out there that can comfort me. Well, when I took, when I, when I had my first drunk, I, I would, I had the same exact thing happen to me, except even a more visceral level. Like I remember drinking for the first time and being like, oh, well, this is, this is, the answer to all my problems i'm like why didn't i just start drinking earlier mm. like i can i can now live life like i don't have to walk around with an extreme tightness in my chest all the time like i i got booze now and that was kind of so i kind of now know like i was definitely i definitely drank alcoholically from the first drink <clears throat> because that's what people who are alcoholics tell me happened to them um that they had that, you know, that first drink or that first drunk and that kind of revelation of, wow, this is like the cure to all my problems. And it is the cure to all my problems until it's not anymore, until it's the absolute demise. And that kind of happened to me like a bunch of, a bunch of times, like, like that, that demise. Um, I've had a few rock bottoms. I won't go into them, all of them, but like the last one, that I've been sober since actually happened on tour and we were on tour Norma Jean and I don't really, I don't really tell this story. Actually, I don't think I've only told the story maybe once or twice, but we were on tour Norma Jean and it was getting towards the end of this end of the, uh, tour and 
I got real, real fucked up. I was trying not to drink the entire tour. And uh, mind you, I've already been in AA once uh, for like 30 days and then left after about 30 days <clears throat> thinking that I didn't need it. And then six months later, I'm on this tour on the Norma Jean tour and we're like playing Philly or something. And I get way too drunk and end up getting into a big fight with one of the guys in my band. And I just bounce. I just leave. And uh, I just drop off the tour. like, And I just leave for... No one knows where I am for like two weeks, I think. Mm. And I kind of just like... I just just went away and, and drank pretty heavily the next day, maybe two days after. And then finally just hit out and just hit out for like a week or two. And, and, uh, this a, these AA rooms, uh, um, by my house and to the point where I got a sponsor and, um, you know, kind of like said, I'm sorry, apologize for everything. And, reconnected with the band and let everyone know what I was going through and that I was making a, you know, a real, real effort to be sober. And that was almost two years ago. My sobriety mm-hmm. date's March 24th. So mm-hmm. that was like my last drink was, was that, that incident. But I've had so many incidents before then where I should have, I should have stopped. Um, that was just kind of when everything came together and I was like, all right, all right. Like, it's time to stop, Justin. Like, you're making a mess of everything. Well, it is. And, you know, um, congratulations on almost being two years. And as someone who's um, in the same ballpark uh, as that, it, it also, I don't think maybe listeners mightn't understand if you're not a recovering alcoholic, you'll always be an alcoholic. Um, the <laughs> The problem is... Also, for me, I don't know how it was like for you, but I reached a stage where I was drinking um, over a bottle of whiskey um, f- a day, and I wouldn't, mm-hmm. I wouldn't feel like it was enough. Um, I'd want more. Um, and then when people would tell me I, I drank that much, I would flat out deny. Um, for you, was there a sense of you had control of this? You didn't need anyone else to tell you that you could you know, you needed to stop? You thought you could stop whenever you wanted? You know what? I didn't even... It's kind of weird because I don't even think I... I didn't think I had a problem at all. Hmm. Um, And I was touring... I was touring all the time. So I was able to drink to blackout every single day, all day. And there's relatively no consequences. Besides all the dumb shit I did on tour, but I was still getting to the shows. I was still playing the shows. So, and, but then I would get home, I'd have to like self detox for like two weeks and then go back at it again. It was this visceral cycle of like drinking every day, all day for 60 days straight, 30 days straight. And then hating myself so much and trying to detox for like, I don't know, a couple of weeks and then doing it all over again. And for whatever reason, I never thought I had a problem or no, I probably knew I had a problem, but I just wasn't even like, I wasn't even in the same like consciousness of sobriety programs. Like I barely even knew what AA was besides what I saw on TV until the first time I stepped into the rooms. But like, 
So like that wasn't even a thing. Like my parents always said I should see a psychiatrist. So that like thing was always there, but I just never did it. I, I didn't have the money to and whatever. So that was just kind of like the thing, like, like, all right, I'll go see a psychiatrist. I'll go see a psychiatrist. I'll go see a psychiatrist. And then eventually, um, <clears throat> the first time I entered the rooms, which wasn't the last time, but the first time I had that moment where I was like, I don't know what, I don't know what it was, but I just was like, uh, I'm going to call uh, an alcoholic, Alcoholics Anonymous outreach phone number. I don't, I just remember being hung over and doing it and went to my first meeting and that was my first introduction and, uh, didn't like it because I obviously only stayed in for the first 30 days, but then grew to love it and still love it today. How do you, how do you go, you know, you've obviously, you've got your support system now. So, um, do you take things day by day and also the other part of that, um, which I know I battled with was a learning to um, not kind of blame yourself and be angry at yourself so much that people make mistakes and, you know, uh, it happens to, it can happen to anyone and everyone that they can become addicted. Um, yeah, it's, you know, I still struggle. I, you know, what? I struggle with things now that, are a blessing actually um, because they're so minuscule to the things I, I used to struggle with. Um, it's just, I, I definitely take it one day at a time. Um, I have a lot of spirituality. Like, I mean, it's the spiritual part of my, the spiritual part of my, uh, of my journey is absolutely huge. Um, I have a great, great sponsor right now. I've gone through two sponsors. I've done 12. I'm going through the 12 steps for a second time right now. Uh, I did it the first time, but never really got around to doing the eighth and ninth steps. So I wanted to do it again with a new, new sponsor. And I have a great one who has a real spiritual foundation in, uh, in Taoism and Christianity. So like, he's got this like weird, weird, like, it's not like religious or anything. He just knows a lot of the proverbs and a lot of the stuff that like you can kind of like apply to your everyday, everyday life. And like, it, she's just got a good, a good foundation for that kind of stuff. And I look up to him. He's kind of like a, he's like a shaman. He's like my shaman. Um, so like a lot of that, I have like, a, I do a lot of that work. A lot of, I've been really, really getting into Taoism lately. I just think, the the Dowdy Ching by Lao Tzu really really helped me, and I think someone being an AA, you might be able to relate it. <clears throat> if you ever read that book, the Dowdy Ching, it's like you're almost reading like the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Like, there's so many parallels, and then learning more and more, I realized that Carl Jung, Carl Jung, Carl Jung, however you want to pronounce it, um, was a big. Uh, Dow, like he was really big into the Dow, and he was also, you know, one of the, the, the foundation, uh, find foundational parts of Alcoholics Anonymous. So it makes a lot of sense now. And uh, I don't know, I I have a uh, you know what we call a higher power of my understanding, and it really really helps me out. I think uh, a connection with other alcoholics on on a daily basis. You know, I try to make it a daily thing, but can't always happen. So do it a few times a week 
Um, and then I've, I, I'm joined an online recovery group uh, mm-hmm. called the SRC, and they have a they have a podcast. It's called the Share Podcast, and uh, it that that's helped me out a lot too. Listening to a lot of like um, AA speakers and recovery podcasts and stuff like that. That all that stuff, you know, just trying to always be in this this uh, spiritually fit frame of mind um and it, it works it works for me like it really 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 has um no life's good now it's 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 real good yeah fuck yeah brother that's what i want to hear that's great um yeah it's it's yeah it's phenomenal to hear that you know life's where you want it to be um mm-hmm. stoked for you dude um let's just go back a little bit to uh, I am so that album is a lot obviously more raw for you emotionally um, and exposing yourself uh, but also for the band you kind of you guys changed up a little bit not really I mean this it's still tooth grinder but you know as you mentioned earlier some people you know give you flack for it uh, which is the wonderful oh, yeah. wonderful world of social media um, oh yeah, yeah what was it like for you guys entering? that release because you changed up uh producers as well on that so what was it like going in for i am um kind of nerve-wracking because the past three you know pieces of music we did we did with the same producers so we always knew what to expect um but we really really got along with this guy matt squire when we when we met him uh for dinner uh, before we decided to work with him, made us real comfortable. He put out a lot of great records that we really liked. Um, we know he has kind of like a he has a history of working with pop artists in LA and also hardcore bands in DC. And it was like we we're like this is gonna be a good like he's got a good sense of melody. He's got a good sense of like heaviness and aggression. I think this will be a great producer for us. So we were really excited. Um, the only thing that worried us a little bit was I think we only had like three and a half weeks to record the record. So we were, we, we made sure we had a full arsenal of songs before we went into the studio. You know, we tweaked them here and there and did this or that. Um, and it was amazing. It was such a fun time. He's a super, super hard worker. So we were definitely putting in like eight to 10 to 12 hours a day, um, five days a week, like no ifs, ands or buts, which is great, which is great. Um, and everybody was super excited. It was just very grueling. And uh, the lyric writing process was right in the beginning. No, it wasn't the beginning. Well, yeah, I guess it was kind of the beginning. It was, it was before my first year, um, before my first year sobriety. So I had lots of, lots of, uh, you know, inspiration to go on. And I wrote a lot of the lyrics in the studio um at the starbucks on the street <laughs> and uh it was it was like uh i don't know it was great it was really cool getting to work with someone else and like hearing someone else's take on everything and he knew exactly what our vision was and i think we knew exactly what our vision was and i think we executed it pretty like pretty much how we wanted to um i can't say more good things about him and 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 us like uh we did exactly what we wanted to do, and it was a lot of fun. How do you feel it was received? You know, you, we 
as said there and earlier, but, you know, people saying, oh, it should have been more this, more that. Um, how do you feel it went over with fans and how has it been going over live? Uh, live's been fun. Live has been great. I love playing those songs live. And I've noticed when, when we play to people who never heard us before, they really get down on the new songs. Um, the record, I think so far, um, again, a little underwhelming. I think it could have received, I, I think it should have gotten a little more publicity than it did. Um, I don't know why that didn't happen. I don't know. I know it was just a cluster, a cluster fuck for all of us towards the end of the release with, you know, different things going on. Um, behind the scenes so like it wasn't we didn't release it exactly how we wanted to um but i still think there's more more time for that record we barely toured on it i mean we really haven't uh toured on it yet so this next tour with uh ginger and uh suicide silence will be our first real tour since the record's out so i think it's too early to say um what what the future of this record is going to be. Um, but I'll let you know after this tour, I think that's really going to be the, the, the deal breaker. Well, I think this upcoming tour is also one of those things that you guys can tip your hat to is that you can fit on a lineup like that um, with your, <laughs> with your catalog of, of tunes going on. And also you're a kind of band that you can cater your set list to be whatever kind of style lineup you're on. Um, something not a lot of bands have nowadays. Yeah, no, it's, 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 it's weird because it just feels like we've always just been, we've just been doing what Tooth Grinder does and that's out of just doing whatever we want. And it just somehow, somehow works out, uh, in our favor. And, uh, it's great. It's cool that we get to tour. Yeah. It does put us in a weird position though. Cause like we're either like the softest band on the bill or like the heaviest band on the bill or so there's always like this, like, I feel like we're always plowing through the barrier of awkwardness every tour. Like there's always like this, like, well, I know three or I know 25% of these kids are going to hate us. So we got to play to the 75% of the kids who don't know about us yet. And it's like, it's like that. And, it's 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 weird. It's, it's always feels like we're we're battling the crowd. <laughs> <laughs> trying to tell them, trying to tell them, don't cross your arms yet. You know, get, wait till the end of the yeah. set. I mean, it gives me. It's kind of fun because you know, like, you kind of know some on some tours, like who you're playing to, and uh, you know, you make it a goal. Like, all right, I know these guys probably aren't gonna like us that much, but like, let's try to convince them otherwise. And like, it gives you like a a goal in mind (laughs) (laughs) what about you know we're talking about live show and um you know two two part question one you know is it easy for you to turn it on every night because as you said you really you know it's all about the performance it's kind of what you loved about live music and then Mm -hmm. the second part what's with the uh the suit jacket and stuff is that when did that start and why um well, yeah, I mean, the, the performance, performance is, it's just, it's my favorite part about being in a band that's playing live. Um, it's just so much fun. And uh, I have a great time interacting with crowds and getting to use the stage and the crowd as my jungle gym. <laughs> and it's just, <laughs> it's just a lot of fun. <laughs> and um, 
But uh, as far as the suits are concerned, um, so we recorded the video for Vagabond, and it was the director of the Vagabond video who wanted to like throw in this like uh, this like um, storyline that I don't know it was a spinoff of Reservoir Dogs or something. So we wore those suits in the in the in the music video, and then when we were on tour with. Trivium and Bull from a Valentine, our sound guy was like, dude, you guys should just wear those suits that you wore in Vagabond. And I was like, yeah, you're absolutely right. We should. <laughs> and I just, we just started wearing them that tour because we just, I think it was, I think it was that tour. Was it that tour? I forget, but it was around the time when Vagabond came out, that music video. And that's when we started wearing them. Do you get hot on stage? I mean, it's hot on stage anyway under the lights, but, I mean, what's it like wearing a suit jacket and stuff? I, I, I actually don't mind it. Um, in some, I mean, some smaller clubs, it's brutal. Like, uh, we were playing, there's a couple shows. There's one in Iowa City and one in um, Austin, Texas, uh, where, like, it was... It, I don't know how hot it was. It was definitely over a hundred on stage. And like, by the time I think the one in Austin, by the time the show was over, every single person on stage, like took off all their clothes. Like we were all in nothing, but like probably like maybe our pants <laughs> and that's about it. And like, we were just like, it was brutal. So yeah, sometimes it gets really hot. Um, now the last thing I wanted to ask before we start to, you know, like wrap it up, um, is you, how do you find, or what do you think of the climate of the industry now for an artist? You know, it's now geared towards streaming and downloading. It's no longer really geared towards physical sales. So for an artist like yourself, um, how do you see the industry nowadays in 2020? Um, I would used to say I hate it, but I don't think I have an opinion on it anymore. Um, I just kind of like, I don't know. Um, it's hard for me to have an opinion because, yes, uh, in one circumstance, artists definitely aren't making the money that some artists deserve. Um, but on the other, like more people are getting exposed to music than like ever before. I mean, like you can have someone from the middle of nowhere shred on a guitar and then, you know, people can find out about them all over the world. So there is like, there's pros and cons to it. Um, I just choose kind of try not to have an opinion on anything anymore. <laughs> just kind of like, let it, let it, let it ride. I don't know. Like, let it just like, it is what it is. Um, sure. I'd love to be making more money. Um, at the same time, like, you know, there's people out there who probably would never be discovered if it wasn't for that those platforms. So, I don't know. Just like it just is what it is. Hey, it's a good answer. It works for me. Um, yeah. <laughs> all right, Justin. The last thing we do um, is a segment called Pick Your Poison. And what I do is I give you two options. Um, they're either food-based, movie, or music-based. And you pick your favorite of the two. Would you rather have a pizza... Or a burger, pizza. Okay. Um, and it have, but it would have to be New Jersey or New York pizza because I've had a lot of pizza around this country, <laughs> and it's some of it's not good. 
<laughs> what makes what makes New York, New Jersey pizza better than? Um, you know, people people would say the water, but I know, coming from a culinary background, I know it's not that. Um, I just think that the Italian heritage in New York and New Jersey is still very strong, and there's just more people there who've been doing it for a longer period of time and have got it down to a science. I think a lot of uh, America, at least, it's a still we're still in that like Pizza Hut, Domino's kind of kind of deal. Um, it's just a little different. Hmm. Um, okay, next one. Would you rather have a soft taco or a hard taco? Um, soft taco, but only if it's corn tortillas. Hmm. Hard taco if they're flour tortillas. Okay. Uh, smooth peanut butter or crunchy peanut butter? Uh, definitely crunchy peanut butter. Okay. Chinese takeaway or Indian takeaway? Um, just because I haven't had too much Indian food, probably Chinese, but I'm not even a big Chinese food fan. Mm. Um, I'm going with Chinese. Okay. Uh, risotto or pasta? Ooh, that's a tough one. Um, that is really, really tough one. Um, risotto. Okay. Uh, coffee or tea? Coffee. Okay. Um, would you rather cook at home or dine out? Um, I would rather cook at home if I had, like, a lot of fun appliances to mess with. Mm. Um, but... That but usually dine out. Like if I had state of the art cooking equipment, I'd love to cook at home. But I I hate my oven, so <laughs> dine it out. <laughs> I, I hate my oven too. I hate my oven too. I don't know anyone that has a good oven. And if you do, I'm jealous of your oven. Um, now considering what I know, the weather's like there. Would you rather spend the day at the beach or spend it at the snow? <clears throat> um. Uh, I'd say the beach for the warm weather, but I really do like the mountains. Hmm. Uh, and I like the map. Ma- I don't know. I, li- I would rather be in the mountains when it snows at the beach when it's warm. Okay. Um, cat or dog? Uh, um, I can't choose uh, both. Okay. Um, couple of movie ones. Uh, Star Wars or Star Trek? Star Wars. Terminator or Predator? Terminator. Uh, Rambo or Rocky? Ooh, Rocky. South Park or Simpsons? You can't do that to me. Um, (laughs) I'm going to have to go with South Park. Okay, a couple of music ones. Uh, Slayer or Pantera? Uh, Pantera. Cannibal Corpse or Black Dahlia Murder to go really heavy? Um, Black Dahlia Murder. Uh, Offspring or Green Day? Man, these are tough. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, shit, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Offspring. 
Okay. Um, Converge or Dillinger escape plan? Uh, I'm going to have to go with Dillinger. Okay. Um, Rob, uh, Rob Zombie or Marilyn Manson? Rob Zombie. Okay. Now, the last couple. Um, if you're playing a show, do you want mic grabs going on or stage dives? Um, I think mic grabs. Okay. I love them both, but nothing gets me more jacked up than when I hear someone singing my lyrics. Um, if you're going to go to a show, do you watch it from the mosh pit or by the sound desk? When I was younger from the mosh pit, now I stay as far away as possible. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, I know you need one with the other, but would you rather tour for the rest of your life or just record music for the rest of your life? Um, if I had to do it for the rest of my life, I'd probably record, even though I like touring more, I'd probably have to record because one, I can stay home, um, with my soon to be wife. Uh, I can kind of live more of a normal life and do things outside of work that I want to do. Um, yeah. So just, just because of like outside circumstances and other things I want to get involved with, probably record. And last one, someone's going to give you your all time favorite album. Do you want it on CD, vinyl, or do you want it on your phone? Uh, all, this, all right. So, <clears throat> and it's like the last copy. Yeah. Whatever. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm going to have to go with, I'm going to have to go with CD mm. just because I'm going to have to go with CD and it's only because of practicality. Cause I'm thinking if I have a vinyl, I'm not going to be able to play it in a car. No. If I have it on my phone, I'll have no physical copy. So I'm going to have to say CD just so I could be more versatile with it. Hey, that's the best answer on that last one I've heard. Um, <laughs> thank you for being um, entertaining to talk to. Very relaxed. I found it very easy to talk with you. Felt like, you know, I've chatted with you before kind of vibe. And thank you also for being um, open, honest um, about certain topics. Um, so I really you know, appreciate and value, um, the conversation we just had. Well, thank you, man. No, it was so much fun. And, uh, thanks for reaching out. Um, we can do it again sometime, whenever.
So that was my chat with Justin of Tooth Grinder. And at the end there, you heard the band's track Blue and The House That Fear Built. Both of those are from the band's album Nocturnal Masquerade. And the other song you heard was The Shadow from their album Phantom Amour. Now's the part of the show where I spark that thing inside you to help out and support the artist that's been on the show. So if you enjoyed that conversation, if you enjoyed the music, get online and discover Tooth Grinder's discography. If you enjoy music and you enjoy having a physical copy, get onto the band's web store, get onto eBay and buy yourself a copy. If you're into merchandise, make sure you get onto their stores and grab yourself a hoodie, a hat, a t-shirt, whatever it is. In the current climate with everything that's going on and everything that's getting cancelled touring-wise, these are the easiest ways you can support Justin and Toothgrinder. I also need to take this moment to thank Justin again. You're an absolute legend, dude. Thank you very, very much for taking time out for me in the Mosh Zone. Much love, much respect, much appreciated. And that's it. That's the Mosh Zone episode 109, done, dusted, all wrapped up, locked away for this week. Guys, if you're a first-time listener, thank you for tuning in. I hope you come back over future weeks on future episodes. If you're a regular listener, thank you as always for tuning in and hope you come back in future weeks. This time of the show is when I remind you that we need your help to get out to more listeners. So if you've got a few moments this week and you enjoyed this episode, share it on your social medias. Also, tell everyone you know about the Mosh Zone. Help us out. Help us grow this Mosh Zone community. Also, at this time of the show, I need to remind you that if you want to find Mosh News and Mosh Reviews, we have it all on our website and social medias. Our website is www.themoshzone.com. Our social medias are all at The Mosh Zone, and you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Also, don't forget... You can also get in touch through our email address, which is themoshzone at gmail.com. Get in touch, guys. Help us grow this Mosh Zone community. There's not much else to talk about. That is all of my rambling done. Thank you for tuning in. Have a great week. Stay safe. Open the pitch.